everyone. As I uh, intone the bell, um, hopefully you'll be able to hear it. Um, I hope we can and appreciate uh, that there is a bell to be rung and that we can hear it and that we can respond to it uh, together.
the sound of the morning rain. We collect like droplets. And this pool of kindness, drenched in Dharma, deepening, deepening. I'm going to screen share our chant for the morning, or today. Uh, Some of you are familiar with it, uh, some not. This is the verse of uh, repentance or confession that begins our morning service. All my ancient twisted karma, from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech and mind, I now fully avow. All our ancient twisted karma, from beginningless greed, hate and delusion, born through body, speech and mind, we now fully avow. All the ancient twisted karma, from beginningless greed, hate and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, all being now fully of a house. assuming you could probably hear the rain. I don't know if you could, as I mentioned, hear the droplets maybe coming through. <clears throat> Unless you have participated in our uh, services at Apamado or at Open Door or other places, you may not have um, uh, been familiar with the, this uh, chant of forgiveness or repentance. It's a little bit of a uh, a trick, some people come and say they want to meditate and then suddenly they're asked to say all my ancient twisted karma for me. They're like, wait a minute. I'm not sure I signed up for this part. And I've mentioned previously that in a retreat when we were in the Lake District in England once, one of our senior students, a wonderful man Mark Gray asked, uh, we were doing a retreat on Zazen and uh, Fukan Zazengi, and he said in the way that he would often do kind of poking questions, he would say, what is Zazen really? 
And in that moment, in that context, with that student, I said, Zazen is forgiving ourselves for being ourselves. Not letting us off the hook for anything, but also not creating more pain and shame on top of what already is. And as we sit in an upright, dignified way, in silence and stillness, and we face the wall, we're opening to the larger space of Buddha's heart and mind, which is our heart and mind, all the while living in the twists and tangles of this relative world. And this is our practice. And this kind of avowing, I love that word at the end, I now fully avow. Um, Blanche would say this means to stand up in the middle of your life and admit who you are without adding judgment, but admit fully. And this avowing and repentance is not so, um, it's not like a psychological negotiation of things so we can feel better. Although opening to our true nature, to the natural state of awakening, is a more spacious place from which we can meet all the tangles and all the conditioning. And I don't want to go too far afield on the psychological side, but I want to say there is such a thing as <clears throat> healthy guilt. When we actually feel the impact of our actions in the world and our relationships in, in a healthy way, in a wholesome way, not in a negative or self-punitive way, but like, oh, that, that was an impact I didn't intend, or there's actually something as healthy shame uh, when we sense that we've strayed from a life of integrity and truth in some way, um, and all of us, all of us, each one of us, has to make sure we attend to those things. And that willingness to forgive ourselves for being ourselves, it's, it's kind of a backwards way of talking about self-acceptance. To forgive ourselves for being ourselves means we're going to live with a heart broken open. And the gap caused by that tender brokenness is the space between our fantasied hopes for ourselves and how we actually find ourselves in the world and with others. And I know from my own experience, I'm sure you've noticed that it takes courage to step beyond our curative fantasies of what we think practice will bring us and actually avow, admit our lives and to sit up with some dignity and to face who we are without self-recrimination, but a fierce looking, we now fully avow in that second recitation, I avow, we avow, all being avows, all being, all the universe is avowing itself all the time. And the clear looking the clear seeing is wisdom. And meeting the suffering that you see when you see clearly, fully, and not turning away is compassion. And the more you don't turn away, the deeper you look. And the deeper you look, the more you're able to be with the suffering that's inevitable. 
all my ancient twisted karma or tangled karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion. Beginningless. This is the nature of being a human. It's not your fault. This is the way it is. But born through body, speech, and mind, we do bear responsibility for how we carry this aspect of humanity in our body and in our speech and our mind. So we must at least avow, like offer and demonstrate that we see and we feel, we know this is our life. And these are the relationships which I vow to take care of. Since this is the final inquiry of this year, I thought, what's the theme for me for this year and maybe for us? Or a word, um, sort of a signal for the year. And I'm sure that most of you who are online right now received the letter that I sent from Apamata, which is sort of the end of the year, year appeal. Uh, which was maybe a little different than often, and in that, and it opened with. Uh, I wrote. I, I would imagine that many of you might very well feel some version of what I feel quite a bit these days, brokenhearted. And and then later in the letter, I said, maybe kind of a strange way to <laughs> invite people to support Apamada to talk about uh, brokenheartedness. But this is what our practice helps us uh, meet. And I think for me, as I was reflecting, I thought the single most common word that keeps coming to me and that I hear from all of you when we talk is some version of being brokenhearted. And there are lots of ways that this comes to us. It's, you know, there are personal losses, of course, and deep disappointments, betrayals, shocking reversals, squabbles, uh, you know, all those things that are quite personal. And the larger sphere, there is, you know, systemic racism and, and many forms in which people are missed. And the seeming inability of humans to meet on equal ground. There have been so many tangles for so long and it's still our job to sort them. But of course, politics, don't have to really say too much about that. But, but I end up feeling brokenhearted about people in general, how fear rules and hearts close in terror and how people lash out trying to get some fantasy protection and instead just end up causing more harm. And of course, there's the environment, the global breaking, as we watch the decline of everything and everyone. But, you know, when I'm listing these things, these are things that you're all familiar with. I'm not focusing here at the end of the year. Um, This is not a lament. And it's not a way of playing that old psychological game, ain't it awful? I'm not saying, oh, things are terrible. That's not the point. It's, uh, I, I don't want to end the year saying oh, things are, are terrible and focusing what's wrong or how we make trouble for each other. 
But if we're willing to take the backward step, that term that Dogen uses, the backward step of practice, this orients us to something central to our practice. I think it's the edge of all practice that's pretty important which isn't about just personal difficulty or some sad feeling, that to take this step with brokenheartedness situates us in a deep intimacy with the raw reality of dukkha, the raw, the raw lived reality of dukkha, which is the entryway to the Buddha's four truths. The first, the, and the way we learn to navigate with some little bit of grace and the possibility without turning away from anything seeing it all in this fractured world and these difficult and gorgeous people all with all of us with hearts broken by the vulnerability that comes with having a life and having love both of which save us and both of which will inevitably be lost. So there's something about this brokenheartedness <clears throat> that I'm, I'm trying to help us touch on, which isn't just about a reactivity to rough things. Something more fundamental, something about beginningless. So I want to go deeper than just the gloss on this. <clears throat> and the question I think that people ask me at least and, and I think of do our practices serve us and do they serve the greater good when the pain goes impossibly deep like when we feel destroyed or ruined beyond our own personal hope for repair how does practice move when there doesn't seem to be any consolation? Maybe there isn't any, and when things can't be put right, and yet, and yet. So once again, something came to me this week, which I was startled, as I am each time, I think, that it took me to this place that I was kind of trying to sort out for myself, this brokenheartedness about life and, and loss and longing for things to, to go well and feeling how sometimes... So to go deeper, um, I was listening to a conversation. It was an interview in one of my favorite places I go, and many of you, On Being with Krista Tippett, with the... Um, with a musician, Australian musician who lives in Great Britain now, Nick Cave. Some of you may have heard the interview. Uh, and some of you may know the story, of course, because in 2015, uh, Cave's 15-year-old son, Arthur, died from falling off a cliff near his family's home in Brighton. I think it's probably not unfamiliar to some of you. And then his older son, uh, which is born well before author tragically passed away seven years later when he was 31. So this is, I'm situating the context here. And I was 
interested as I always am is how the Dharma in its deepest sense uh, can be reflected out of life, uh, someone's life, someone's experience, uh, because this is where we work with each other. Uh, in our actual lives, it's not theory, it's not dogma, it's not philosophy. So I'm going to I'm going to read a few things from the transcript of their interview because and comment on it because I think it really points us deeper. And then I want you to listen to a small piece too. So Nick Cave said, "There's a personal loss and sort of obliterating effects of grief if you actually lose someone. If a parent loses a child, for example." where the loss of someone dear to you impacts on you terribly and it becomes this obliterating thing. And I will pause and say, of course, it's not just the loss of someone. Sometimes it can be the loss of the hope of ourselves or it can be many things we lose that's quite obliterating. But he goes on and says, but I think there's also a kind of underlying bedrock within humanity too of a historical and personal loss that exists. This to me, this is our condition. This is the common binding condition of what it is to be. So now he's moving into Dharma. You hear the Dharma. Oh, this is something beginningless. It's what humans carry. The depth of the understanding of impermanence and interdependence is the underlying bedrock of humanity, the common binding condition of what it is to be. And then he says a little more, he says, and in that respect, I don't think the common thread that runs through humanity is greed or power of these sorts of notions. See, that's why I don't want to get into the, it's all bad. He said, I don't think that's the binding thing. He said, it's the binding agent of loss. That, to me, is the thing that makes me able to look at anybody and feel connected to them, regardless of who they are. And I think there's a power in that that isn't really recognized. He's speaking about the Bodhisattva vow. He's speaking about what we're saying is possible in practice, which feels impossible. And he's saying this from a place that seems impossible. The power of facing a brokenheartedness for which there is no consolation. And this is what I mean about both loss and love taking us to the very edge of practice through the raw reality of dukkha. And the Buddha taught that the willingness to be intimate with this raw reality, just sitting with it, not doing something about it, could transform your life. But only if it's met with real wisdom and compassion not just our ideas about these things, not just intellectualization or surface spiritual platitudes, but the kind of terrifying and freeing experience of being transformed and transfigured uh, as the Buddha was as he sat under the Bodhi tree. And I want to pause here and make a distinction uh, because I'd never understood it so clearly when I was working with this with myself, that being transformed means to become thoroughly or dramatically different. 
but it's a neutral term. Transformation may be thorough, but it's not necessarily better. But to be transfigured means to be elevated, to become thoroughly or dramatically more beautiful or free or whole. You get that difference? It's very much the way Bachelor, Stephen Bachelor talks about Apamata, that his original definition is sort of amoral. It just means, you know, contained in this way, but or diligent, but actually is more than that. So that's an important distinction that we find here as he points to this sort of dharmic turn. And and Krista Tippett even says in the interview, she said, I feel like Arthur's death um, and his life transfigured you. And Nick Cave says, yeah, he says, look, for me, what happened to me is that I just rolled along in life. I had some kids. I love the kids very much. Life rolled along as it did. It didn't actually have the dimension that it has now. And the death of Arthur, and he says, two of my sons have died, but the first one to die was Arthur. That had an obliterating effect on me and Susie. That's his wife. Not on our relationship, but individually. And I'm going to read just a little section because I was very touched by it. He said, it just drew us down a path of which we had no control whatsoever. It was not an ordered stroll through the stages that we're supposed to go through when we grieve or anything else. It was an obliterating mess. It was a mess. I could see what happened with Susie. It happened in front of my eyes. That's a very tender statement. I could see what happened to her. It happened in front of my eyes, an essential change in her condition of being. There's a transfiguration of what life was to her. It was an extraordinary thing to see. It simply happened to her. It wasn't a matter of strength. It was just a thing that happened to her. And I think the same thing happened to me. It was enormous, defiant, creative energy that took Susie from being a regular woman that lost her child, was utterly obliterated by that, and then sort of rise out of that within a relatively short time. It's not that she's any way out of it, or that there's ever been any closure, but this defiant dynamic force that came up out of that was an extraordinary thing to see, incredibly helpful and inspiring to me. And I know many of you have been through things like this and are still in things like this. And he goes on and he says, I don't see the world in the same way as I did before. But he doesn't say it's horrible and despairing. He says it's much more complex than I thought and much more fragile. And this creates a different feeling towards people in general. These are his words. At least that's what I found anyway. And that the common energy running through life is loss. But you can translate it into love, too, quite easily. They're very connected. And that comes around from an understanding of just how fragile and vulnerable and precious the nature of life seems to be. So these are not unusual things. You've heard these kind of things before. But I believe what he's saying echoes what I said earlier, that brokenheartedness 
met in a wholesome way, situates us in a deep, deep intimacy with the raw reality of dukkha and that entryway into the Buddha's four truths. And the way that we learn through practice to navigate with some grace and possibility without turning away from anything, without turning away from the gorgeous and difficult people around us, all the broken hearts, and this vulnerability that comes with having a life and loving, both of which are salving, both of which save us, and both of which will inevitably be lost. Uh, as I said that, an immense rainbow just appeared in front of me. I'm going to play a very brief bet, um, maybe a little less than five minutes, of this interview because I want to hear I want you to hear sort of the punchline, and I also want you to hear a little bit of his voice as he sings um, part of the song called Ghostine. That's the name of the album, Ghostine Speaks. And I will say ahead of time that there's a repetition, like a mantra. <clears throat> uh, and it's a mantra, he said, was his son speaking to him, not him speaking to his son. So we'll just listen for uh, a few minutes. His last cheers. Yeah, the Ghostine Speaks started as a massive thing and it just kept getting smaller and smaller and, and, until uh, I think it's pretty much I, I am beside you, look for me. That's essentially what it is over and over again. I am beside you. I am beside you. I am beside you. song is essentially from his point of view, you know, that I am beside you. That he is beside you. Yeah, look for me. Yes. I am beside you. With a lot of our improvised material, it is improvised over chordal patterns that I don't know exactly what's going on mm -hmm. um, because we're playing together at the same time. And so these words sometimes feel like they come from other places. Mm -hmm. It certainly did at the time. feels to me like it just kind of you know wrapping back around to the limits of the rational and the how hard it is to speak of the mysterious but you said i love this but you said there is no problem of evil there is only a problem of good yeah it's the um 
the sort of audacity of the world to continue to be beautiful and continue to be good in times of deep suffering. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I saw the world. It was sort of not paying me any attention. It was just carrying on, being systemically gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and, and <laughs> um, you know, how dare it? Mm. But there you have it, you know. Mm -hmm. mm. I get letters too from people who write into the Red Hand Files who are furious with the way I talk about these sorts mm -hmm. of things. How can you, mm -hmm. you know, they're so ruined by loss and they, they see that I, that I have a kind of, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of putting a positive spin mm -hmm. on their agony. Mm -hmm. And I understand that too. And uh, But I, I think it's not just me. I think it's it's everything that's happening around them that life goes on and the sun still rises and the birds sit in the trees and all the rest of it. And there feels like it's, it's almost an act of kind of cosmic betrayal for this to be going on. Right. You know, it's mm -hmm. because people are suffering so deeply. And that's one thing I try and say is that because uh, as we've already spoken about this, but the temptation is to cling on to that absence, yeah. to sort of fold yourself around the lack of something rather than turning yourself out and, and looking at the world in that kind of way and mm -hmm. coming to terms with that. It's dangerous. Um, it can be kind of become like a hardening of the soul mm -hmm. around this the kind of disappearance of something, mm -hmm. and that's not good, mm -hmm. you know. I, I try not to tell people what to do about things, but that's one thing I think that grieving people need to be careful mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. I know that's quite a bit. It's um, the reason I wanted to play that piece partly is so you hear his voice because it, it makes a sound for what uh, we face in brokenheartedness and that, I don't know, sort of a practice punchline that, you know, what it's how dare life, how dare life continue to be complete and whole and beautiful when all the things that we go through It reminds me of um, that quote you've heard me say so many times about it's not all that hard to get enlightened from Stephen Mitchell. What's difficult is to keep giving up our sense of the world so the world can come to us with this vast, pitiless, loving intelligence. This vast, pitiless, loving intelligence. And as we move through the holiday season and begin a new year, please attend to your own brokenheartedness, if you can detect it. And please attend to the broken hearts around you if you sense it. You know, you will be transformed no matter what. That's all that's happening. 
There is no defense against relentless change. But by practice, you can be transfigured as these things change. And that depends on your willingness to avow and turn toward life as it is. You can choose to share that elevating and deepening uh, alchemy of loss and love and life so that in the brokenness, we can have confidence that the poignant beauty of life remains, even when we seem to have no access to it, or even, or even hate that it continues. So now I've gone a long time, I'm going to offer one final blessing, which isn't mine, it's from an American woman. <clears throat> She's a, a minister, but um, it's called A Blessing for the Brokenhearted. And there's a little um, line before her poem from the American uh, Henry David Thoreau. And the line is, there's no remedy for love but to love more. <clears throat> and here's her blessing. Let us agree for now that we will not say the breaking makes us stronger. Or that's better to have this pain than to have done without this love. Let us promise we will not tell ourselves time will heal the wound when every day our waking opens it anew. Perhaps for now it can be enough to simply marvel at the mystery of how a heart so broken can go on beating as if it were made for precisely this. As if it knows the only cure for love is more of it. As if it sees the heart's role, soul remedy, the heart's soul remedy for breaking is to love still. As if it trusts that its own stubborn and persistent pulse is the rhythm of a blessing we cannot begin to fathom but will save us nonetheless. So thank you for listening to my rather long sermon today. Um, as we come to the end of our... <clears throat> yeah, I saw that small uh, uh, smile, Paul. <laughs> I said the sermon. Um... <laughs> uh, but these things obviously mean a lot to me, and I hope they mean something to you. Uh, we have a few minutes if you have something you'd like to reflect on um, that encourages the deepening of our practice and the meeting of our uh, brokenheartedness in a way that transfigures all of us. <clears throat> silence is fine as well. Can you hear the rain? 
Oh, I do hear the rain, and it brings back memories of growing up during the uh, first seven years of a, I was born the first of a, a seven-year drought in Pecos, Texas, so uh, I spent many times on my knees praying with my family at uh, at night and also at meal times. but I just wanted to say how remarkably touching this is, because it's a, in a way, I feel like I've been obliterated by my son's um, disengagement from my life. But this is really these weeks and months. It's been more than a year now. You're real. This message sort of was so succinctly pulling together everything I've gone through because I'm committed, nodding, not letting this define who I am slowly but surely. But today I feel like I've stepped in that I've somehow been upside down in a snow globe and I can't see. When I lived in Alaska, the, we moved there December 3rd, so we were almost at the shortest day of the year, and and there would this ice fog would happen, and I could barely see to get to walk to my job. It was just a few blocks from our our cabin, but I, it's just this is an unfolding of looking at these experiences differently. Well, that's the function of our practice and the function of our spiritual friendships is to be able to do that. Not just to, uh, it does, it's not an easy, facile um, thing. It's a, it's a deepening and it's sometimes tough, but thank you for uh, reflecting it back. Well, I can just feel this emanating happiness. Uh, several times I smiled during your presentation, not because it, it was very touching hearing his voice and his story with Krista Tippett, but it's, you, our body can bring us back if we just listen to it and give it the time we need. So Absolutely. for all of us grieving, um, I'm glad you're here and that our hearts are one. Thank you so very much. Thank you. I appreciate your saying that we, if we listen to our bodies, because that's why we sit in silence. Carol, I think it was Carol next. Yeah. Hi, Flint. So good to see you. Everybody. Are you safe from floods? Uh, <laughs> only just, yeah. We had, um, it's not raining now, but it rained, just teemed all day yesterday. And uh, but that's, uh, sun was out this morning, so it's turned into a, another lovely day. I saw the images from the Northeast, and so just thinking about you. Oh, yeah. Um, Chris was saying that the Mill River flooded again and you know whether she's living in Massachusetts it's pretty bad um your um your talk brought me right back to um to the days after you know the aftermath of 9-11 at the time I was living on Long Island on the North Shore and and I could smell the smoke and see the smoke from the fires in, in Manhattan and um and and it was just such an awful terrible time and and this current time is so evocative of so much of that um you know so much fear and and ugliness and inhumanity um but what what i'm struck by is is that in the aftermath of that um people like all of us i mean our hearts were broken but but they were broken open and 
And while, you know, some people were mostly manifesting anger, most of the people that, that I encountered, like there was so much love, you know, it was like our hearts had broken open and what was there was love. And people were kind to one another in a way that, that I hadn't really experienced before. You know, when you met somebody on the sidewalk, they looked you in the eye and smiled and said, hello. People were yielding in traffic. That doesn't happen on Long Island in normal circumstances, you know? It was, it was as if our hearts were broken open and what was left was love and goodness and kindness and, and openness. And, um, and it, it did something to me. I mean, it made me believe that that really is who we are and what we are. Um, and that we, we can't always access it. And sometimes it takes an explosion to, to bring us back to, to who and what we are. That is the premise of our practice. Yes. We, we learn it in these tough times. And then if we practice it, it's possible. As yeah. A, and, and what I was left with was, you know, there was this, this slogan that emerged in the aftermath. You know, if you see something, say something. And, um, and I know what the intent of that was. But I practice that on a daily basis. If I see something... I say something. So if, uh, you know, I mean, something simple like, yeah. oh my God, you have the most beautiful eyes or, oh, your little boy is the sweetest, <laughs> you know, kind, you know, I mean, just whatever I can, whatever I see in that moment, you know, I'm not being shy or I don't want to embarrass myself or anything like that. I, if I see something, I say something. And, yeah. Anyway, I wanted to share that and, and say that too, that I see you and I love you. You're wonderful. So thank you. I, I love that transformation of that theme. That's, that's, I'll remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we have Francis. It's been uh, quite a week for you, huh? Why? Well, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I must not have noticed. Um, I was wondering if you'd say a little more at the end of the interview with the man, he said something like he gave a warning to grieving people. Uh, was it to not harden your soul? Uh, it's to don't harden around the grief. Let it keep breaking you open. Like keep transfiguring you and transforming you, um, and that's not a new message. I mean, it's easy to, um, and it doesn't mean get over it. He never says you ever get over it, uh, but can you be transfigured by it? Um, uh, because there's a way to collapse in, um, especially I think if we don't have witnesses and and good friends to help us bear the unbearable. Not because, like I said, it's any magic about getting better, but there is a getting getting through. Thank you. I, there was just something about the way he said that that caught my attention about the the way he said that about the warning. Warning, uh, that don't let your soul harden. Mm -hmm. That's another way of saying don't succumb to despair, even when you're destroyed. Mm 
It's, a, it's hard. It's very, very, very hard. This is where practice proves itself. If it, if it can't work here, you know, so. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was just thinking of how that uh, related to the turning away yeah. rather than um, staying, you know, staying. Yeah, that's the key, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, Francis. Good to hear your voice. Thank you. We have Chris. There you are. Yeah. Good to see you, Flint. Good to see you. I just wanted to ask, can you repeat the name of the the poem that you read and who yeah. wrote it? I'll, I'll ask maybe Cassie to also include it with the recording. Sometimes she, okay. uh, let me pull it up here so I remember. A Blessing for the Brokenhearted by Jan, J-A-N, Richardson. And if you Google that, you'll find it. A Blessing for the Brokenhearted, Jan Richardson. Okay, good. Thank you for reading it. It struck me smack on today. Great, uh, that was my hope. <laughs> Darcy. I was watching you. I hoped I'd hear. It was wonderful. Thank you. Thread on. You bet. having trouble with your audio you're breaking up but i can say from this side that one of the reasons i looked at you is it was they're your teachings and they're kev's teachings if you can hear me one thing you might do is turn off your camera and see if that gives us enough bandwidth. We can hear you. Let me go in the next room. Okay. Is it better? Uh, a little bit. Mm. Can you hear me now okay? Or... I can, I can hear you. I can hear you. Uh -huh. Time. Thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to say? I had a lot. I had some things I was going to say, but I don't. Uh, I, I'm frozen. So can you hear me? I can hear you completely. Don't don't worry about the visual image. What did you want to say? Okay, good. Um, this was so right on, and thank you. Um, it it feels like um, I also listened to this interview with Nick, and um, I, I wanted to. 
oh, darn. comment on um, difficult to understand. All I can say from my experience. Experience is not saying not to feel your loss. Um, oh, we lost you again. Speaking of loss, there's a tendency to. We lost you again, unfortunately. Um, no. Ain't it too bad thing that you were talking about that people do in general? Yeah. And um, our practice is sitting upright and feeling the loss as it is. Yes. So. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for. And it doesn't go away, and it doesn't. It doesn't even lessen, but you just keep feeling it as it is. It transforms and transfigures, but does not go away. Thank you. I'm sorry you had trouble with this. I'm so glad you persevered. <laughs> Mike Bronwyn is here too. Yes. This whole 30... 60 minutes has been very impactful. Thank you. I just wanted to mention the kind of loss that comes from a decision you make. Yes. Not the loss that happens to you, but yes. I'm making the decision possibly to fly over to Maui to have, we're talking about a dog, another cancer removed from between her eyes. And it doesn't matter what it is, it's how it impacts you and the choice you make, whether it's to have a child have surgery and it fails or no matter what, you choose to drive and you get hit, doesn't matter. Just the, uh, how you're making a decision that has a huge impact. Mm -hmm. Could you just say one thing about that? What I was thinking as you said it was that every decision is like that. Some are more apparent than others. Everything matters. Mm -hmm. And it's the, in the very beginning when I said um, something about a, a loss of a person, uh, I, I stopped the interview and said, it's not just that. It's, every, it's the loss that comes with <clears throat> something you did that you wish you wouldn't have done or regret or wish you would have done that you didn't do or a consequence it's it's uh it's born through body speech and mind we now fully have as everything and we have an impact on everything there's a um, this is one final comment i'm reading a book called um home is here i believe that's the name of it and it's about the eightfold path especially from um a woman who's a dharma sister of mine she's a blanche's student uh, she's Vietnamese American. She's a priest. Anyway, she you know Indra's net. Everything's connected, and we see that beautiful image. 
And she said, so often we focus on the intersection and the diamonds that are reflecting. But what about when we do things that tear the net? I have to remember the net, not just the individual, the whole net. And somehow I think that's connected with some, what you're saying. I know it sounds strange, but I can feel that. Are you going today? Uh, tomorrow. And just the thought of what if going over for this, she dies on the table, yes. you know, it's and that my voice said this one thing that could be a cancer, another cancer that could go in her brain, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's the impending what if. And if you don't. Yes. What if? Yeah. I know. We do our best. We make our best decisions based on what we have and then we live with the consequences always. Right. That's always. right. Thank, Thank you. you. <clears throat> because we're a little bit over time, I want to, instead of us chanting, I want to say a dedication that is the brief dedication that's often used in, in practice. May our intention equally permeate every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. May our intention equally permeate every being and place with the true merit of awakening. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Flint. I was just reminded of that image you showed me at the beginning of all the ancestors behind us. And it just reminded me, it took me straight out of my small self and reminded of me that we're not alone. We're all in this together. And uh, but thank you so much for uh, for all that you've offered this year. And this is our final one of 2023. And um, so if you'd like to offer any dana which would really help to support the continuation of these offerings um, and our end of year contribution then please do go to apamada.org forward slash contribute thank you so much for all the ways in which you contribute and support apamada thank you and if you'd like to continue for a further 30 minutes please pop yourself into gallery view and i'll be with you in just a moment so thank you all so much thank you